Thank you, Michael, blessing us, ushering us into the presence of God in such an eloquent way this morning. Thank you. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention earlier is that there is a leadership meeting today, immediately after service. So those of you that are part of the leadership team, we ask you to stay. And some of you have assignments that you need to report on today, so don't forget that. Um, we are continuing our journey through the book of Romans. Romans. Last week, we, or at least I, had a special treat for myself in that I had the privilege of only having to preach from one verse. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Now to you it may not have been so good because I, I pulled everything I could have pulled, I think, out of that one verse and it still did, it didn't. So to you it may not have seemed like a good thing because we still were here just as long. Well, I say all that to say that I get another privilege today. I get another honor today. I get another opportunity today to preach from just one verse. Guess which one it is? The next one in line. <laughs> it's not rocket science. It's not hard. Romans chapter 12, just one verse today, verse 2. Very familiar to many of you that have been a part of uh, God's family for any, any amount of time at all. You've been to Sunday school. You've read. You've been anywhere. You probably know this. Many of us know this verse by heart. And here is what it says. It simply says this. Do not. So we did the first part last week, right? Today's second part, part two of that, that, that passage. Oftentimes it's preached together. We split it up. So today, here, here's what the second part says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you by testing may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now I'm reading from the screen, right? Uh, and I'm reading because this is, this is one of my favorite passages and, and it's one that I've internalized in my heart and I can quote it without reading it, but the, verse, the version I know is from King James. That's just because of the way I was raised, right? And so here's what King James says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Glory, hallelujah. Amen. Isn't that all right? Amen. Now, from this one verse, we have one thought. And here's that one thought. Our ultimate goal. That's what we're going to talk about today for the next Oh, I don't know, a few minutes. Our ultimate goal, our ultimate goal in every area, area of human endeavor, it's important to have a target. No matter what you're doing, it's important to, to have a target set, uh, to set goals. I don't care what, what you're talking about. You could be talking about corporate America. You could be talking about your own personal life. Whatever it is, it's important to set goals. Because without it, there's no point. There's no purpose. 
There is no proper perspective. There is no plausible paradigm. Kevin, you all like that. You got to work those peas. That's an inside joke. Kevin and I talked yesterday about some stuff. And so, so, so can I give them to you one more time? There's some peas in there. Did y'all catch them? There is without, without goals. There's no point. There's no purpose. There's no proper perspective. There's no plausible paradigm without setting goals. Things are just aimless. Things are hopeless. Things are disjointed. Things are discouraging without goals. Having goals provides direction. Having goals provides a way to track your progress. If you don't have a goal, you don't know what you're shooting for. There's no way to track if you're still on track. You need goals. I don't care what you're talking about. You can be talking about uh, school. You can be talking about sports. You can be talking about life. You can be talking about your business life. You can be talking about anything. You need a goal or some goals in order to track where you are along the way. So that, you can, so that you can measure whether or not you've made any progress. Goals are important. Having goals, not only that, but they keep you accountable. If you're true to it, it keeps you accountable. Having goals don't only do that, but goals are motivating. Just simple fact that you have one gives you, or it should, give you motivation. Having goals not only motivate, but having goals help you to break through blocks. You do know that blocks will rise up in life. All along the way, there'll be blocks. Goals, my friends, are essential. Even before we apply this concept to our Christian life. Goals, and we're going to do that, by the way, in a minute. I want you to think this is only secular talk today. We're getting to the meat of this. But I do want to lay a foundation and paint this picture that it not only applies uh, to us as we walk with Christ, it also applies to us as we live in this world. We need those things in place to keep us on track, to help us to be motivated, right? Uh, I told my family, my, my sister and her, I was going to pick on them, and I am. Uh, didn't, didn't know if they were going to be here. Now she told me she was coming, but I wasn't sure because you never know coming from that way, anything can happen. So I didn't write this into the sermon, but I just thought when I saw them, here's a perfect example of goal setting, right? Uh, did you see that tall lady that walked in with them this morning? She, she, you know, she, she don't like us to talk about her height, but she is awful tall, isn't she? Did y'all see that? I want y'all to know something. I'm going to brag a little bit. Is that all right for me to brag a little bit? Uh, you know, I don't brag often, but I need to brag a little bit this morning. Will y'all allow me to do that? This is, in the words of God the Father, this is my beloved niece in whom I'm well pleased. <laughs> she is, she's my niece. She's tall, but I say all that to say, that she's doing at her age amazing things. She has set some goals in her life. And you, all of you are saying, well, you said all that. You haven't even told us her name. You just called her the tall girl. 
Her name is Logan. Logie Log. Lolo. And she has done some amazing. I need you to remember. I'm bragging. Remember her. Because this will be the, not the last time you hear of her. The, the phone at my sister and brother-in-law's house is ringing off the hook from schools all over the country who are trying. She's just a junior. She is one of the top. Now, now I can watch this. I know you say, don't say all that's going to go to her head. Listen, here's the reason why I'm not worried about it going to her head is because of the family that she's been raised in have grounded her and made her to be humble. Look at her. She's just like, it's not going to go to her head, but I need to brag this morning. She, she is one of the, hot, the top recruits in all of the nation in girls basketball. You'll hear of her again. My sister texted me the other night. She said she's on the phone with LSU. And I told Kevin, Kevin, I told him yesterday, and I didn't know they were going to be here, Kevin, but they're here. So you can, Kevin is an alum. He's, you know, he's an LSU man. So he might be able to convince you. I don't know. But she was on the phone the other night for over an hour, and she got one of many offers officially from LSU. That's just one. How many does she have right now? Five right now. A junior. Many, many more to come. I say all that to say she had a major injury a, a little over a year ago, right? She tore her ACL. She was on the fast track to being awesome anyway. That happened. was a major setback. But she had goals. And she had a family behind her who would not allow her to lose sight of the goals that she had set. So rather than giving up and allowing the, the torn ACL to be a roadblock, her goals kept her focused on what she wanted to do. And she pressed on beyond that to where now the phone is still blowing up. Remember, you need to take a picture with her today. Next time you see her, she might be in the WNBA. And again, I say all this because I know her daddy <laughs> and her mama, and they're not going to let her head get blown up. So I can, I can brag. But, but, but really, I want to say this to her and to all of you, but especially to her. Oftentimes when we get word of what's going on with her, I'll respond, uh, hashtag proud uncle. And I want her to know today that's not just something I say, that I'm truly proud of everything that you're doing. And listen, the best is yet to come for her. It doesn't happen, though. It doesn't happen without goals, and it doesn't happen with a support system that keeps you focused. Goals in life are extremely important. It's the reason why employers, uh, employers want someone who's goal-oriented. That's what they want, don't they? They want, so all of you probably put that on your resume at some point, even though it may not have been true. You say, I need to just put that on there because I know that's what they want to see. And you've known in your heart that you're really not goal-oriented. <laughs> you've known that that's not really you, but you know that that's a catchphrase. 
You know that if that comes up on your resume, that's something that they want to see. Why do they want to see it? Because they are about reaching and achieving goals. And life setting goals is unsurprisingly one of the most important things that you can do. Everyone should have some challenging goals set for themselves. Uh, As many of you know, I serve on several boards around town. One of them, some, some people say, man, how do you, what, where do you, what, how do you do it? And all I can say is glory to God. I have the honor and the privilege of being able to serve on many boards around town. Somebody yesterday asked me how many, and I said, you don't even want to know. But one of the ones I serve on is the board of the Mentoring Alliance. We just, you may not always in the future know it as that, but in the Mentoring Alliance, you know it as that now, right? Kevin is here. He's the CEO. And I uh, serve on that board. And one of the interesting things is, is that uh, at, the, at the beginning of the year meetings, one of the things we always did, was all, were always asked to do, was give some BHAGs. Anybody know what BHAGs are other than Kevin? It's good. You don't know. Let me help you. Here's what a BHAG is. A BHAG is a bodacious, hairy, no, a big, hairy, audacious goal. That's a BHAG. You need, y'all, since you didn't know, you need to keep that one. That's good. That's pretty good, isn't it? Hey, I can't take responsibility for that. I don't know if it was Kevin. Somebody came up with that. But listen, nevertheless, you need to have some BHAGs in your life, some big, hairy, audacious goals. It's something that you need to have as a part. Everybody needs some of these, some of these. Uh, In 1972, Life magazine published a story about the amazing adventures of John Goddard. When he was 15, John's grandmother said, if only I had done that when I was young. And John overheard this statement at the age of 15. Uh, He was 15 then, and, and, and when he heard this, he determined not to make that statement at the end of his life. So when John heard this statement, at that time, at 15 years old, he wrote out 127 goals for his life, most of them Uh, he wanted to accomplish to be a blessing to the world before he left it. He named 10 rivers he wanted to explore, 17 mountains he wanted to climb. He set goals of becoming an Eagle Scout, a world traveler, and a pilot. Also on his list was dive in a submarine, retrace the travels of Marco Polo, read the Bible from cover to cover, cover several times, and read the entire Encyclopedia Britannica. He also planned to read the entire works of people like Shakespeare and Plato and Dickens and Socrates and Aristotle and several other classic authors. He desired to learn uh, to play the flute and the violin. He wanted to get married, and he did. He wanted to have children, and he had five of them. He wanted to pursue a career in medicine, and serve as a missionary for his church. All that sounds impossible, doesn't it? Well, here's here's, here's what happened. At the age of 47, John Goddard had actually accomplished, uh, at the young age of 47, he had accomplished 103 of his 127 goals already in his life. He had some BHAGs. 
right, and he accomplished them. Your life of goals may not be, your list, rather, of goals may not be as extensive as John Goddard's, but, but if you don't have some goals in your life, you'll find that you have little motivation to get up in the morning and little satisfaction as you lay your head on your pillow at night. It's a bad idea not to have goals. Not only is not having goals a bad idea, having goals that are misguided is just as deadly. It's not a good idea for one's goals to be narcissistic. That word simply means the pursuit of gratification from vanity or egotistic admiration of one's idealized self-image and attributes. It's not good to set goals that are based in narcissism. It's, it's not a good thing. Uh, the myth of narcissus, from whom we get this word, there's a myth associated with it, and that's where we get this word from. It tells the story of an exceptionally handsome and conspicuously proud young woodsman who is lured by nemesis, the spirit of divine retribution, to a pool where he sees his own reflection and falls in love with it. Consumed by the beauty of his own face, he cannot look away and is doomed to live out the rest of his life fixated on his own image. Living out one's life fixated on his or her own image is not a good goal to set. If you were to look back and that happened to you, it would not be a good outcome to, to, to live one's life consumed with self. It's not good. Uh, it, 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 it rather has to be as Mahalia Jackson sings. And here's what Mahalia says. Mahalia says this, if I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with a word or a song, if I can show somebody that he's traveling wrong, then my life shall not be in vain. If I can do my duty as a good man ought, if I can bring back beauty to a world upwrought, if I can spread love's message as the master taught, then my living shall not be in vain. If we're going to have goals that need to apply, that need to subscribe to this thought, right? That, that's what we, that's what, what we should do. Uh, for the believer, we're talking about believers, so we're going to get this, we're gonna get this conversation uh, uh, centered around how it is that we as believers are to apply this concept, right? For the believer, our ultimate goal, we do have, I don't know if you knew this or not, but we do have, it's all right to have uh, uh, other supplementary goals, it's all right to, but there, ha there is an ultimate goal that we must subscribe to, our ultimate goal as believers, should be to know God. That should be our ultimate goal. Now, there's a lot that goes into that. There's a lot of unpacking in those two words, know God. But that should be our ultimate goal. In other words, to connect with his heart. To connect with the heart of God. And to then please him. That's what knowing God is all about. It's an intimate terms. It signifies intimacy, knowing him in a deep, in an intimate way. In other words, knowing the heart of God that leads us to do the will of God. That's what knowing God is all about. That 
should be our ultimate goal. Paul says it this way in Philippians 3, 8 through 11. Paul says this, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For so, so let's back that up and say that again. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, knowing him. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may, here's that word again, know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain. That word attain seems to suggest that Paul has a goal in mind. Doesn't it? He says that I may attain the resurrection from the dead and be like Christ. It was Paul's goal in life to know God and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. It was his goal. And I submit to you that not only is it, should it be Paul's goal, it should be ours as well. Our ultimate goal is evident in our text for today. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. No, you didn't think we wasn't going back there. Like we took a long way around to get there. But we are there. Our ultimate goal is evident in this one verse. It is resting, it is hiding in plain sight, Brother Sam, right here in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I said our ultimate goal is to know God, didn't I? It is right here in Romans 12, 2. It's simply stated a different way. To find it, we have to start at the end of the verse, not the beginning. So we have to go back to the end and look after the word that. And after the word that, you'll find our goal present. Here's what it says after that. It says, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. That's the same thing Paul says in Philippians 3. He just says it a different way. That you may discern by testing what is the will of God. Paul here gives us keys to accomplishing our ultimate goal of knowing God. Here's what it says. Uh, our ultimate goal of knowing God, again, is connecting with him and pleasing him. Paul says this. He says, in order to know God, we must be able to discern the will of God. You can't know him if you can't discern his will. You can't know him intimately if you can't discern his will. And Paul says the only way to know him is you've got to be able to discern what is his will. And then he says, uh, doing that, after doing that, we must be willing to then do the will of God. Once we are able to discern it, then we should be willing to do whatever it is that his will says that we should do. Because in doing it, we reflect God. We are here. I don't know if you knew this or not, but we are here to reflect God's glory. And the only way we can do it is we have to be able to discern what is his will and then allow that 
to move into us doing it. I like what Douglas Moo says about it. He says this, discerning the will of God means to understand and agree with what God wants us, wants of us with a view to putting it into practice. Let me read that one more time. It says this, discerning the will of God means to understand and agree with what God wants of us with a view to putting it into practice. The last part of this verse gives us the what, the emphasis. And that is the, here's the emphasis, the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. That's the what. That's the emphasis of this whole passage. That's the emphasis of one and two, the good, acceptable will of God. Certainly it's the emphasis of verse two, the good, acceptable will of God. It's at the end, but it is what's most important here. It's at the end. It is the what, right? The first part of the verse explains the how. At the end, after the that, is the what. In the beginning, before the that, is the how. Now, I don't know about you, but anytime there's a what, I need to know the how. Because I won't know how to do it, right? I, I need to know how, how to do it. And so Paul doesn't leave us hanging. He just flips the order. He gives us the most important thing last. If you read Paul, you'll find that he does that often. He does that. And so here he does it again. He gives us the most important thing at the end. And then you have to go back to the top to figure out how to do what Paul said we should do. And so what he does is this. First, he tells us what not to do. <laughs> what, what, what not to do. So he says this at the beginning of that verse. He says, do not be conformed to this world. That's what not to do. Right. That, that, that's not how you discern the will of God is being conformed to this world. Discerning and doing the will of God does not happen through conformation. Have to be careful. I don't want the O to get confused with an I because this is conformation, not confirmation. So it does not happen through conformation. That's that there's a big distinction there because one is positive, one is negative. And so then it does not happen through conformation. Formation. In fact, nothing in the history of the world that's been impactful has come through conformation. Just look at it. All of you history buffs and history uh, uh, professors and history experts should know. And you, can you can research it and you'll find out not just biblical history, but anything that's happened impactful that has really impacted uh, humanity for the good has never happen happened through conformity. Never. You can search it. It's, it's never happened. It doesn't happen that way. Uh, conformation doesn't require courage. Conformation doesn't require risk. Conformation uh, does not require progressive thought. Conformation does not, it, it doesn't require much of a degree of difficulty. It does not require that. It does not require resilience. It does not require fortitude. It does not require persistence because there is not much opposition when you conform. It's just not much opposition. You won't get much pushback when you conform, right? It, it, it doesn't happen. It, it's easy to do that because conformation doesn't require much pain, it doesn't produce much gain. It just doesn't. Uh, I like what Charles Spurgeon says about it. He says this, character is always lost 
when a high ideal is sacrificed on the altar of conformity and popularity. And read that one more time. Character, Spurgeon says, is always lost when a high ideal is sacrificed on the altar of conformity and popularity. It reminds me of the ten spies in Numbers chapter 13, chapter 14. You remember the story in Numbers 13, 14, the children of Israel are wandering through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, and they get to the almost there point. And, and, and Moses says to them, he, he gathers, uh, at the direct, he gathers uh, a spy from each of the 12 tribes. There are 12 spies that go out and he sends them over into Canaan. Because remember, God has promised them that when you get there, there's going to be leeks and onions and big grapes and pomegranates. And the land, when you get there, is going to be flowing, not with water, but milk and honey. When you get over there, it's going to be a great place. It's going to, and so they get almost there, Martha, and Moses does something. He says, give me one guy from each tribe, 12 of you, go over, scout out the land. They go over, they scout out the land, they spend 40 days over there. And then they come back, and when they come back, part of the report is awesome because all of them begin with the same report. They start with, man, you wouldn't believe it, Moses. Now, I'm paraphrasing the Bible. Don't say this. <laughs> it's the Ricky version. It, 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 actually, it actually is. Uh, the land is just as God described it. There's milk and honey over there. There's grapes. There's pomegranates. It is a beautiful place. And ten of them have a but. Ten of them say, but. But they're giants. It's a fortified place. There are giants over there, and it's a land that we don't believe we can take. We don't believe we can take it. Ten of them. And here is how what ten of them say and do goes back to what Spurgeon says. Because when they begin to say that, it infects the whole crowd. And they only say what they say because they were given to conformity because they were conforming with what was popular and the entire crowd got on board. So they said, we can't do it. We can't take them. Uh, the crowd is all excited at first and then all of a sudden when they say what they say, the whole attitude of the crowd changes. And they begin to say, Moses, what have you done? You brought us out here in the wilderness to die. What are we going to do? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to Egypt. We'd rather go back to Egypt than to go where God told us to go. And so that's what they decide. And God, uh, as we know, is not happy. All right? Because... They have given themselves over to conformity and popular opinion, popularity. And so they sacrifice good ideal. God, here, here's, here it is. God's ideal for them was good. It was a grand ideal. It was a high ideal, the promised land. They sacrificed the promises of God on the altar of conformity 
and popularity. Because what happens? Oh, we're not going. And so God, angered with them, says, you know what? I'm going to kill them all. And then Moses pleads their case. Moses says, God, listen, not, not that he changes God's mind. God, I believe this was a test for Moses to see how he would respond. And so Moses says, God, you can't do that because all the people that have been watching this journey and have been hearing the stories, and all, they will think that you were not able to bring your people into the promised land. So don't do that. And the text says that God relents. He knew what he was doing anyway. He was testing Moses, but God relents. And he says, I'm not going to kill him on the spot, but none of them over the age of 20 will be able to go into the promised land. He says to them, all of you will drop dead in the wilderness. And he says to them, you will wander 40 years aimlessly in the wilderness, one year for every day that the 10 spies spent in Canaan searching it out. You will wander one year for each of those days, 40 years, none of you that are over 20. Because you have sacrificed my high ideal on the altar of conformity and popularity. So we know the story. None of them were able to go into the promised land because of this. And so it's not a good idea. That's, that's what not to do. Conformation won't work. Conformation is not God's best for us. So then what do we do? Right? What, what, what to do? So next let's talk about what to do because Paul gives it to us. Uh, first, he says, he says, what not to do is to not be conformed. But then he says, here's what to do. Be transformed. So if conformity is not the right thing to do, then transformation is the right thing to do. Our goal can only be reached through transformation. And here's what transformation looks like. Letting God transform us by changing the way we think. Listen, listen, listen. You got to know that all sin and all obedience begin in the mind. So the key to overcoming sin and growing in godliness is transformation of thought. Transformation of thought. Here's the thing. We're not able to do that on our own. We can't trans we have to allow God to transform our thoughts, right? Here's what Paul says about it in Philippians 4.8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, here's what you do. Think on these things. It's all about what happens in your mind because what happens in your mind will manifest itself in your life. It starts in the mind. So whatsoever a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And you have to be careful the thoughts that you allow to filter from your mind to your heart because when they go from the mind to the heart, they become a conviction and your convictions order your steps. And you have to be careful about how your steps are ordered. And you don't want your steps to be ordered in the wrong way. It's about transformation. And God is the only one that can transform a mind. This is only possible through transformation. The Greek word that, that's used here is metamorpho. Somebody say metamorpho. It's where we get our word metamorphosis from. 
uh, it, 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 as it relates to an insect, the, it's the process of transformation from an immature form to an adult form in two or more distinct stages. It's a change as it relates to life uh, of the form or nature of a thing or a person into a completely different one by natural or supernatural means. It's what changes the caterpillar from a caterpillar into a butterfly. It changes the caterpillar, this process, from crawling to flying. Anybody want to fly? Anybody tired of crawling? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Anybody want to mount up? Anybody tired of crawling like a caterpillar? It only happens through metamorphosis, transformation. And the only one that can do it is God. Just as it is with the butterfly, it is a process with us. The word used uh, indicates an ongoing process. We're not talking about a quick fix or a dramatic instantaneous change, but steady, lifelong progress toward godliness. The verb is in the passive voice, indicating that it is the work of God in us. It is the work of God in us, but it also is in the imperative mood, indicating that we are not totally passive in the process. We are responsible to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Part of the responsibility is on us. The main part of it is on God, but we do have a part to play. Paul says it this way in Philippians 3, 12 through 14. You'll be familiar with this one. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus' life. This transformation process is about pressing. Any pressers in the house? It's about, it's about pressing. It's about this process of metamorphosis. It's about going from a caterpillar to a butterfly. That's what it's about. I like to read close with this poem that I found that kind of illustrates this point. It's called Spread Your Wings and Arise, and the author is unknown, but here is what it says. There are times in our lives we feel much like a flower struggling to bloom. We go through these times of change and growth like a caterpillar in a cocoon. Nobody can see the Lord's hidden work until the day we break through. Then we can begin to spread our wings and arise as butterflies do. God has a much higher calling for us, and he wants us to rise up in him. We can make such a difference if we'd only realize the potential we have within. So allow the Lord God, allow the Lord to work in your life to make you all you can be. You can't do it. He has to do it. So you will one day be able to soar and know what it means to be free. It's a process. God's in control. Philippians 1.6 says this. 
For I, Paul says, I am confident in this very thing, that he who hath begun a good work in you shall perform it, shall complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God will see us through this process. Can I leave you with this final thought? Here's our final thought. Our ultimate goal is to know God and to reflect his glory. Conformation will not get us there. Transformation is the only route. Our ultimate goal is to know God. That is to be able to discern his will for your life. And then allow that discernment to translate to action and doing what it is you've discerned God's will is. We do have an ultimate goal, right? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for, lo for, for loving us, for giving us, Lord God, a vision, a goal that we are not able to pursue or apprehend ourselves. But we know in you, all things are possible. And so we ask you, Lord, to help us to stay focused. Help us to understand how to discern your will. Help us not to be blocked and stopped and not to lose motivation and help us, Lord God, to keep our eyes on you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.